1: John, is is that mustache
2: new? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like this.
1: That that is amazing. That is very seventies. <laughs> it's yeah, very you.
2: It, it fits me, I think, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it does. I'm actually surprised you didn't have one sooner.
2: I love you, Guma. You, you don't sound so. You don't sound so enthusiastic about this. No.
1: <laughs> no, I'm good. With it. I actually like facial hair. It doesn't bother me.
2: You guys aren't gonna see Pat obviously because he never puts the video on but i got together with him and ernie they came out of hiding for the first time and uh he is serious he's let his hair grow really long it's amazing i can't believe how long mm-hmm. it got... yeah come on yeah it was amazing how long how fast his hair grew
1: i cannot picture pat with shoulder length hair
2: i think he could almost put it in a ponytail now wow i know
1: mind blown like the mustache on you like that doesn't surprise me
2: <laughs>
1: you always have like a 70s sensibility but pat with long hair well
2: it's like, like a 1770s sensibility on him it's like
1: oh it's that okay <laughs> that makes sense it's not 70 no, it's not 1970s no. long hair it's no 1770s long hair no okay.
2: it's not the male farrah fawcett it's the ben franklin i think
1: i got it now yeah. that makes
2: sense he looks good though i have to say
3: You get stuffed with ravioli.
0: If your mama's a paisano, you will have
3: the world on a plate. So see that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great.
2: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I'm your moderator, John Viola, and very happy to report that we are speaking about a topic that is fun and wonderful and family-oriented. Because I am fun and wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> As you can hear, the gang is back together. We've got Pat, Rosella, Dolores, and myself sitting on the mic for the first time in a couple of weeks. So, guys, it's so wonderful to be back together.
1: Hi, John. Hey, Pat. Hi, Rosella. Hi, Pat.
2: Now, like, we weren't talking for 45 minutes before
3: we started this.
1: <laughs> You're not supposed to tell them that. It's supposed to be like <laughs> organic and natural. <laughs> Hi, everyone.
3: <laughs> they had the conversations you really want to hear.
2: Yeah, that's true. Those are the best ones. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: mud on me. Uh,
2: we got a great topic today, though. I'm really excited about this. This is way overdue, and it comes at a perfect time because today we're talking about the annual tradition of tomato jarring and the history of the humble tomato in Italian and Italian-American cuisine and what it means to the world. And it's actually kind of an appropriate conversation, even uh, as a wonderful and much-deserved break from the Columbus episodes, because the tomato is a result of the Columbian exchange. It comes from the new world into the old in the 1500s and really obviously takes root in Spain, but because... Southern Italy was part of the then Spanish empire. If you call it pomodoro, pomarola, whatever you want to call it, the tomato, I think is definitional to our cuisine. I think that's fair to say. You know, Stephanie, our associate producer, is a historian and researcher, and I asked her if she could teach me a little bit of the history of the tomato, and I didn't realize how little affection there was for the fruit for hundreds of years after it came into the old world. Most people assumed, because it's part of the nightshade family, it was poisonous, And it wasn't eaten for hundreds of years. It was avoided like the plague until someone came up with a theory that it was an aphrodisiac and started to spread the uh, pom d'amour, the love apple, as the French called it, and eventually the pom d'oro, the golden apple, into Italian. So the humble tomato is a big part of who we are. It is who we are. Yeah, it is who we are, yeah.
3: I want to personally dedicate this episode to Michael Giordano, Michael Giordano is a dear friend of mine. I know Mike since he's like 13, 14 years old. We went to high school together. He's a proud Italian-American who found the show independent. He didn't realize that I was on it. He had found it independently and had contacted me. And he had sent me pictures of him drawing tomatoes uh, with his kids. It was an absolutely beautiful picture. The first time they've done it in 26 years. And they, Mike, accredit to us the inspiration. Wow. So I want to say that that's exactly why we're here. And so that this show is dedicated on my behalf as a, as a monument to Mike and as a thank you to Mike. Because it's because of people like Mike that we do what we do.
1: Well said.
3: So I want to thank you, Mike. And I hope you take care of me and give me some jars. <laughs> <laughs> Most take importantly. Yeah, don't worry about the rest of them. They'll never know. <laughs> But Mike's a beautiful person, a beautiful family, and, and this is a beautiful moment.
1: Pat, did your family do the tomatoes?
3: No. My grandmother was absolutely Thanks. paranoid of jarring. Mine too. My gra- really? My grandmother, huh. when she was a kid, a neighbor's whole family was wiped out from a bad jarring.
2: Mine oh too. My, God. my grandmother oh my was God. terrified. We never jarred anything, she was adamant about it. Really? Yep.
3: Yeah. She told me that. Um, I always wanted to look this up and to see what the backstory was. It happened in Jersey City in the 20s. Seven kids died and the mother. The baby was too young to eat whatever the mother prepared, which was jarred. And the father was working. And, the, of course, it's a Neapolitan story because the father and the baby survived and the rest of the family is dead. And my grandmother talked about the white casket. So that's, I mean, they I, I still do it, but thankfully we don't have the infant mortality rate. Now that we did then, that the kids were all in white caskets. And my grandma remembered the, the white caskets of all the children coming out of the house. So she would freak out over a dented can. She would go back to the supermarket. She would, you know, when we had to push the can down to see if it would pop up? Yeah. Anything she had, she would push down. She was absolutely deathly afraid of anything in a can or a jar. And when we did use stuff that came in, I in a can or a jar, she tested it, by, and it was, if there was anything off, a smell, a dent, or anything, she threw it right out.
2: That's really fascinating. It's the same thing in my family. We, we were not, you know, I learned from my mother-in-law, been doing it with my mother-in-law since I met my now wife 10 plus years ago, but it's become like a big thing for us to do together. And, and to me, I'm really inspired. I know, Ro, you do it. Dolores, I know your family does it because you've sent some amazing pictures and videos, and I know it's a big tradition, and I want to talk about how everybody does it differently, but I'm just impressed by how many people actually still jarred tomatoes. I didn't think it was going to be nearly the amount that it was. I was thinking about some of the new neighborhood members that we have. I know Charlie Spara sent a photo of him and his family doing it, and a bunch of people have been talking about when they're doing it and responding to our social media and our posts and things like that. And I remember when we did the survey between... October, Italian American Heritage Month, and January when we took it down. And we put a bunch of questions around what kind of stuff were people still doing and what traditions were being kept. And we gave them a bunch of options and different things. Do you get together for Sunday dinner? Do you speak Italian in the house? Do you do X, do you, do Y? And so, of course, I included tomato jarring because I thought it was a, you know, kind of a touchstone, but one that I expected to be um, particularly neglected or uh, lost tradition in a lot of ways but i was stunned by the response 31% of respondents of the 1600 plus respondents still jar tomatoes as a family wow yeah
1: that's a that's a nice
2: portion it is i mean as a matter of fact it was more than people who responded that they you know went to the feast way more than people who made wine i think wine has has actually passed along faster than uh, tomatoes in some sense but yeah i was surprised 31% of people still jarring tomatoes every year
3: that's awesome though See, but the thing with wine is, wine is not a one-day deal.
2: That's true. You're right.
3: That's a good point. You have to press, squeeze, and That's you got to siphon. And I think tomato jarring has become like family reunion day for a lot of people.
1: Exactly.
2: That's a great tradition.
3: So they all get together in the summer, and everybody's going to work together, and the kids are pulling the vase and the goal, and the, yep. you know, it's a, it's a big, uh, it's like an Amish barn raising for Italians.
0: So <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, that is, uh, Pat, the the analogies that you come out with sometimes are both shockingly accurate and just sometimes just shocking. Uh-huh. But uh, I will say that that's pretty true. Last week, I got invited to. So, so here's what happened. So, I have like, I have the online shop, and I sell all the Italian trinkets now. And this one lady ordered something for me. Her name was Adrienne Branciforte, and uh, my father ended up hand delivering this because he saw that, you know, it was very close by to where we live in Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, he didn't want her to to wait too long. I think we'd waited to, to ship it for a while. So he met her, and she mentioned, you know, by the way, I'll be jarring my tomatoes next week with my family. And we have quite an operation, and I'm having several nonas join in, so when she said several nonas, I was I I was intrigued. I was like, oh, what must this look like? And she actually said, you know, if you'd like to come over and film it, and you know, a lot of people ask me to do stuff like that. Like that everyone thinks that the way they do something is uh is, is better than everyone else's. But I mean,
3: really, you know, Italian people who think that way, I'm shocked. <laughs> I never met anybody. <laughs> so
0: like, uh, you know, my dad was like, we should do this, and I was like, all right, we'll do it. Let's try it. And um, we get there, and it's this, like, crazy Diker Heights mansion, like, right in the heart of where all the Christmas lights are. And uh, we go back there, and there are, like, 15 people just working on this. Like, the boilers are all going. They're washing the tomatoes. And there really were several nonas. They were wonderful. Two of them were sisters. One of them had her own documentary about the fact that she's been a lunch lady for 40 years. They were so animated. It felt like if I was, like, really trying to, like, cast this scene in a movie, I couldn't have done a better job because it was just so amazing. Like, the, this, uh, there was Dean Martin blasting on, like, huge l- loudspeakers around the pool area. I mean, everybody was smiling and jarring and and washing basil. But the best part was there were like three little kids and they were so into it. They were like telling me how to do everything. They were like, okay, well, you have to squeeze the jar like this. Otherwise, it's going to open up in the water, you know, and you can't have that. And then you ruin the (laughs) whole thing. And they were like laying like the, they were wrapping the tomatoes in like an old tablecloth and helping twisting. They were fighting over like... Well, you know, you got to push the water out of them. And they were like, no, I want to push. They were fighting over They're Like, I want to push. I want to push. I was there for like five, six hours. No one picked up an iPad. Everybody was engaged. Everybody was really proud of it. And I was just amazed. I was, I was like, what a beautiful thing that they're showing their kids.
2: Yeah. And let's not forget that the end result, and I don't care what anybody says, it's well worth the money. The the quality that you have for the rest of the year is incomparable to something you'd buy off of a shelf it's just so different the taste that you get with fresh tomatoes picked in the peak of the season oh yeah the family eats better they do these things together i mean bro how many pounds of tomatoes did they do
0: they did 800 pounds of tomatoes holy cow they said it was a slow year
1: (laughs) how many how many jars is that do you know
0: uh, I think it. I I really don't know. I mean, it maybe it was a uh, hundred, a hundred and twenty jars. I think it's got to be more than that.
2: Yeah, it's got to be more um, than that. More.
0: I I don't know. I think they had already put some away by the time I had gotten there, so I didn't see exactly how many jars it was. It also depends because they had big jars and small jars. They weren't all the same size. Yeah.
2: that's what we had this year because people are jarring more because of the pandemic. So jars are harder to get. Believe it. my father in law had to go to like four places and we got these bigger jars. And then we had some small, we did 600 pounds. Dolores, what'd you do?
1: Yeah. You know what? I don't know how many pounds I'm actually, (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually texting. My my siblings and nephews and nieces <laughs> right now, as we're talking to ask them how many pounds we did, I don't know, but I do know we did like almost 300 jars, but I don't uh, think we did anything know, like maybe. 800 pounds.
2: You might, I could I mean, be wrong. We did 600 pounds and we ended up, I think, 200 jars or something like that. 180? Oh, yeah.
0: really? Oh my God. So we must have done, wow. But the best part was that these people at the end, they were like, so we hope to see you again next month for Olive Day. <laughs> and then oh day, wow and then we have capocolo day
3: wow that's
0: amazing
3: that's how you build a nation that's how you build a nation
0: this family deserves their own series because honestly they work really hard for the money over here
2: that's amazing
0: seriously
2: and my, my father-in-law is the same way like they jar the tomatoes then he's doing cabigola he doesn't do wine you know they'll do the eggplant and it's interesting too because one of the other sort of fun facts that stephanie pulled out was something I never really thought of, but one of the reasons tomatoes were an early jarred fruit and have become so popular is because of the acidity in them. They're actually much easier to jar in the hot water bath method. There are very few fruits and vegetables that you can do in that simple of a method and will stay and last as long because of their natural acidity.
3: Yes, that was true up until about 20 years ago. Oh. But what has happened is tomatoes are being constant. When you buy tomatoes, the seeds are constantly being, and it's not, I'm not talking about a GMO type thing, but they're, they're constantly being, there's new varietals and they tweak this one and tweak that one. The acidity of tomatoes has been dropping. And in the last 20 years, it's been dropping enough that now there are rare cases of tomatoes, which are not acidic enough for the water bath candy method. And people don't know about this. Wow. I would love to do a course, God willing, one day on the science, the new science, old traditions with new science, about judging the pH of the tomato. Brilliant. See, when you when you when you jar jellies and stuff like that, we're dealing with berries or apricots. There's very high acidity in them, and it's easy to jar, which is sugar and a water bath canning. If you're using apples, apples are very low acidity, and that's why when you're doing apple butters and stuff like that, you need citric acid. You need added vitamin C. If you're buying commercial tomato products, like canned tomatoes, you will notice that almost all of them have citric acid added, which brings up the acidity of the tomatoes and stabilizes it so it's safe. And like I said, it's like 90%, don't take this, I'm I'm not a professional, I read this stuff for fun, but it's like 90 odd percent, 99% of tomatoes are still safe for water bath canning. But there's a small percentage that are now lower on the acidity scale where, you know, you maybe want to add some citric acid in. That's why I say, you know, the, the thing is I always want to do, if you do the extension societies, if you go out into the Midwest, because farmers still can in the Midwest, their states have very active extension societies, which are basically county agencies or state agencies that like California has, which helps you and says, okay, you're going to jar corn, You know, corn's low acidic, this is how you do it to make it safe. I would love to have an Italian American and this is serious. This is not shtick, an Italian American extension society says, okay, you want to jar olives, this is how you do olives the best way and the safest way. You want to jar tomatoes, this is the best way and the safest way. Using modern technology, modern, you know, things like pH meters and stuff like that, and for everything. And that that's how we keep these traditions going, because an informed person is the safest person the person who knows what to do and what not to do
2: no you're right that's right. i mean you can easily botch these things up you know we we were doing it right my wife's father and mother and many of her uncles and aunts do their own version so they have like shared equipment in the family and they pass around the equipment like each week every family jars their own and it's it's passed on it's oral history it's learned history it's learned tradition everything has sort of got a feel for it this looks good this looks bad you know my mother-in-law hand washes every tomato cuts off the spots that she thinks are bad and the equipment that they use because it gets passed around the whole family particularly my wife's one uncle he like crafts his own things so he's got this different case that he uses when they soak them over the tablecloth so the liquid comes out and he's got a a big uh, stick with this thing on the end that scoops them and he's invented all this stuff and so it's got this very grassroots organic feel to it and I don't think there's really anybody out there who thinks about the science of it anymore you know it's just it's just done through tradition and through learned behavior I think it's sort of prohibitive to people who haven't done it because it seems complex because of the steps and the equipment but part of why I wanted us to do this was not only to celebrate this great season and as Pat says kind of the family reunion aspect of it but to, to sort of teach people and walk through it's really not that complicated it's a fun easy activity. And like you said perfectly well, you finish it in a day. And if you have a big family, you finish it in less than a full day. So it's got a lot of um, viability to it, you know?
1: I kind of disagree with you, John. You would, really? Yeah. Go ahead. I think it is complicated. Yeah? Yeah, I actually find it complicated. And as fun as it is and stuff, there's also like a factor of like intensity because of everything you guys were just talking about, like not ruining the tomatoes not letting them go bad and all this stuff. And I, f- I feel like, I mean, the way we do it, you know, we boil the tomatoes. Yeah. And that Yeah, but just... you,
3: you boiled the tomatoes to take the skins off.
1: No, the skins are already the... off by the time it's boiled.
3: Yeah, but the-, the... all right, you... All right, all right. But... No, no, no. Hold Let's on. Let's hear this. I want to hear this. I want to hear the Hang different methods. a
0: second. I think there's a miscommunication, so I'm going to dismantle what you guys just said because there are different methods. The way that it was done last week, to me, step one, wash the tomatoes. Step two, they went into the pots to boil for about 15 minutes. Once the water started boiling, they boiled in 15 minutes. Step three, they took them out and they strained them through the tablecloth. They pushed the majority of the liquid out. Step four, they put them through the processor, which extracted all the skin and seeds and made the puree. Then they took the skins and they pureed the skins three more times just to make sure all the puree was really extracted. After that, they jarred them and then they boiled the jars. You don't have to do it that way. The way my family does it eliminates a few steps. My family just washes the tomatoes, cuts them into four pieces, and jars them like that, and then boils those jars. And we still complained about this. We eliminated like four steps, so my family <laughs> would still complain.
3: Yeah, but is that something you did here, or is that how they do it in Mola?
0: No, in Mola, you can either make passata, which is what I described first, or you can make ipezzetti, the pieces.
2: That's how my Neapolitan sister-in-law makes it in her family. She said they just cut them up in quarters. But, bro, what do you put them in then? It's just tomatoes? I mean, is there no liquid in the jar? No. So they're in air?
0: Well, you fill the jar with the tomatoes.
2: Yeah, I guess there's juice in there, right? So. It's, it's and not-
0: then when you boil them, they kind of cook a little bit. So the result is like crushed tomatoes.
3: Yeah, but see, the sterilization, the reason you boil them, part of it is the seal for the ball jar. Yeah,
0: that method for the Pezzetti, that's the only reason you're boiling them is to seal the jar.
3: But there's like three steps. The second part is that boiling does kill some pathogens, but the great pathogen that kills people is botulism. And botulism, you have to hit 240 degrees Fahrenheit. That's off the top of my head. I'm not sure exactly. Boiling only gets you to 212. Now, you could kill botulism at 212 for like eight hours. You'd have to boil it for like eight hours, and you're going to destroy the product after that. That's the thing with, with water bath boiling. You can't kill botulism. You're just going to be boiling it for, all, you know, for a very, very long time. The only way to kill botulism um, at 240 is with a special pressurized canning pot. Right. Which, because of pressure, can get the heat above the
2: 240 range to kill everything. If that makes guys sense. let
1: me know when you're done and i'll tell you how we do it
2: <laughs> yeah i want to i want to hear how you do it because i've heard that the quartered pieces is a, a very neapolitan style and i've heard that the, the other one that we do is kind of the normal but dolores i've never heard skinning them boiling so teach me how you guys are doing it
1: so we don't boil the jars anymore that's we don't do that at all wow. so we wash the tomatoes you cut out all the bad parts you boil the tomatoes Then you put them in the, actually like Rosella said, you put them in the crates with like linens and you strain the water out, you know, like it's like a good job for the kids. You give them like a long fork, you know, and they can poke out the water. They poke the tomatoes and you drain the water and then you pass them through, we have a machine and you dump them in and the machine basically makes the tomatoes into a puree. And it also removes the skin. Then you pass the skin through one time to just kind of get the rest of the juice out, throw out the skin. And what you have is basically like a vat of what looks like tomato sauce. You take that and we have huge, like if anybody who follows me on Instagram has seen the big, you know, silver pots and you have them over burners in the driveway and you boil it again, you boil like a huge pot of that. And you have to, the reason before when I was saying that I actually think it is complicated is because you have to be like very careful about manning this part of it. You know, It has to boil quickly and then you have to turn it down and you have to keep stirring because then the bottom burns. In fact, this year we had someone who was a little too distracted manning this part of things and one of the pots burnt on the bottom and we had to dump like a quarter of it and everybody was like, you know, pissed and upset because it's, <laughs> it's a picade, you know, like you're doing all this, you know, you're doing all this work. I hope that and, person
2: was a blood relative to your mother and not an in-law. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs>
1: I'm not, anybody who was there knows who I'm talking
2: about.
1: <laughs> anyway. And then once that, once you cook that for about uh, 20 or 30 minutes, then there's this like very intense process where you're scooping out this cooked puree and you pour it into the jars. And we have like a very quick assembly line of like, you're pouring it in, you have to put the cap on right away. And then we have like all the men, we have like these gloves that my, my brother bought a few years ago. They're like work gloves and all the men tighten the lids really quickly. And then you turn them upside down. You have crates again lined with linens and you turn all the jars upside down into the crates. And then you cover it and you leave it for like a few, a few days to cool slowly. Mic drop.
2: <laughs> well, There's a, th- a couple of pieces in there. So you had me until you boiled the puree. Because my, well, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, we do basically exactly what Rosella was describing, except we put a little bit of salt in after it comes out of the machine. And then we put basil leaves in the bottom of each jar.
1: Oh yeah. I I missed that part. We put basil in the bottom of each jar. My bad. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think basil, everybody forgets the basil because it's sitting in there. Mm -hmm. We turn them upside down at the end, but we, we boil them in the bath, but the idea of cooking it before and then not cooking it after. So it's the heat from when you turn it upside down, that is sealing. Right. Like how long do those last?
1: How long do the jars
0: last? Yeah. Long on a shelf. Yeah, a long time.
2: I never yeah. heard of that.
0: Yeah. I feel like ours last, last about a year, though. Like, yeah. I, I've seen some of them go bad. Either, like, the air gets out of the jar after a while, or, you know,
2: they're just too old. Yeah. I, I think a year is probably good, but I've never heard Dolores' method, so I'm fascinated.
3: Like It's picking up. You got to remember something. What's happening is because it's turned into Italian-American family day, the barn raising, you have to get it done within the day because then everybody goes back to bringing their kids to ballet and 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 foosball and and <laughs> hockey and everything else they're doing the foosball on whatever these people do they they just they got to run here, here, and, pad? I guess there is might be, yeah. I'm sure there's some kid out there who's all tri county three medal five <laughs> uh is going to go to Harvard for foosball but you know that's another conversation for another day but what's happening is everyone has to keep cutting down time the time they put into it because when everybody lived on the same block and they lived next door, all right, when, we're, when we, we've gotten to like step A on Saturday, you know, like um, I've done it with my friend, Fran and Gino. So I've, started, I've when they've done it in the summer, I've kind of like crashed their tomato jarring party. And it's a two day event because they cut the tomatoes up on Friday night and they salt them to kind of get the excess water out. And then they, they jar them the next day. So they work, they start Friday, they work on Saturday. If you're all in the same neighborhood and you're on the same block, that works. So a lot of people have eliminated steps because it's, it, it's really not a science. I mean, it's not like we all opened up a book one day and learned this. Yeah. Because if you want a little bit of background on this, um, Dolores, what word do you use for job? bukach Oh, you, you used the, the modern word.
1: Is that a modern word? We have a good word, Pat.
3: What is
0: it? Iwate.
3: Boat. Boat comes from French. Yeah. So it's boad in Nabuidan. Bocaccia is the Eleanor Ferrante 1950s word that came in. But the reason why we say boad in the south of Italy is because modern jarring is a product of the Napoleonic Wars. Because remember, at that time, what killed an army was messing with the supply chain. And Napoleon going into you know the ever-frosted uh, Russia knew he was going to need long supply chains. And the French basically had a contest. I think it was like 10,000 francs at the time for someone who could figure out a way to be able to preserve foods that the French military could use for their supply chain. Because before that, you basically had hard tack, which is like a frazzel, which is like a dried out biscuit. And you would have salted meats, which aren't good for scurvy and stuff like that. So a Frenchman invented, uh, got the 10,000 franc prize. He basically put food into a glass jar and boiled the jar. And by boiling the jar, he made the food safe. And that was what Napoleon's troops had planned to use for their invasion of Russia, for their long supply chain. But the French word, I'm not sure what it is off the top of my head, but it sounds very much like boade. So we picked up the word boade, and we made that the word for jar. You got to understand the the whole timeline on this. And I can only speak for Campania. The area around Naples, Um, on Sundays in the medieval world, and I've noticed this on other episodes, but you got to keep repeating it so people remember. They ate amanesta maradada. So they ate, you would kill a pig in, uh, in the winter time. What you didn't make into sausage, you salted. You would rinse off the salted meats and then you would boil them in a broth and into the boiled broth, you would throw in vegetables. And on Sunday, which was the one day a week, if you had the money, you could eat meat. You came home from Mass, and at lunchtime, you had the vegetable part of the soup first, and then you had the meat as a second course. So when the Great Migration happened, let's say between 1890 and 1920, the gravy, the ragu, the tomato sauce, it's only really been around in Naples, and maybe for at at most 100 years, maybe less. What happened was people changed up cooking the meats in a broth with vegetables, and replace it with tomatoes. And you can understand why it took off because manes de is phenomenal, but you know, gravy is just like off the charts. And that's where our gravy tradition came from. And macaroni, in that period, let's say the Baroque and Renaissance period, macaroni, pasta, whatever you want to call it, which was a fresh product, was served with butter and cinnamon, butter and sugar. It was not paired as a savory dish. But the very, very first, very early people who came did not use jarred tomatoes to make a pot of gravy, sauce, whatever you want to call it. They used tomato paste because paste was much easier to preserve. Because you have to remember something. Jars are expensive. If you're a peasant in the south of Italy, glass is a very, it's an, to have 300 jars to, to jar tomatoes to wipe you out economically. What they used is they would use huge crocks. Parts of Sicily still do this. Huge terracotta crocks. They would lay out the tomatoes that would be sun-dried. They would scrape the sun-dried tomato paste, put it in these huge terracotta crocks, top off the crocks with olive oil to keep the paste from spoiling. But what they would do is, on a Sunday, you would take a scoop of tomato paste out of your jar, mix it with water, and the diluted paste would become the base for the quote-unquote sauce, gravy, ragu, whatever you want to call it. And there's some very old Italian American families, and that was the ancient way. So the tomatoes in the jar was a much more advanced technology.
2: You know, it's interesting you say that because you and I have had this conversation years ago, and I was really fascinated by it in the idea that in my family, my mom's family, which has been here for a long time, it's a very pasty sauce. And when my wife and I first met, and we would go to each other's houses for Sunday, and her mom makes a meat-based Gravy sauce, whatever you want to call it, but it's very light. It's a jar of her tomatoes. Um, and my wife always kind of commented on how much heavier my family's food was. And when you and I would talk about this, it, it always registered in my mind that the idea of using paste, using the olive oil on top of it, you know, those kind of things make for a very different cuisine. And I think a lot of the early Italian American, quote unquote, red sauce stuff is very paste heavy. And it's a totally different approach than people who came here in, you know, the 50s, 60s, 70s and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I think it's a much thicker base for everything. And I don't know if that's because once people immigrated to America, I think they also started cooking things longer and evaporating more of the water in their sauces. So their sauces became thicker and thicker sauces became synonymous with Italian-American culture.
3: That's a good point. But I think also, let me ask you a question. I've noticed in Italy, the homemade tomatoes, jarred tomatoes are much more watery than what you buy commercially. Am I correct? Would you agree with that?
1: Yes, I would agree with that. The sauce tends to be a little more watery.
3: And that's why I think people cooked gravy for four hours to cook off that water.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. Uh,
3: if you go to the old recipes, oh, it takes four or five hours. Why do you cook four or five hours? Because by cooking four or five hours, now that's different than the meat. The meat needs a lot of time. Amanda Taft, if you're listening, you cannot do brajol for 70 minutes. I've had nightmares over this. <laughs> I've had to see somebody. It's been very traumatic.
0: Please, it needs a lot of time. Please it doesn't post in the new hours. neighborhood
3: that you're not doing brazole for 70 minutes. Please give me that peace of mind so I can sleep at night. <laughs> that being said, the tomato part, not the meat part, but the home jar tomatoes needs a lot more time because to get it to the right consistency, it has to cook a long time to cook all that water off. It's a great point. You know what my grandmother said? I asked because I used to terrorize my grandmother with historical questions. Because I I came out of the womb like this. The mental illness started from day (laughs) one. And I said to my grandmother, so my grandmother, I wanted to jar tomatoes one time. My grandmother, she would go apoplectic with jarring. I said, this ain't going to happen. But she told me she was so happy when the commercial tomatoes came out. Because they didn't have that stress anymore of the safety with the jarring. And she said to me that when they first brought them home, her uncle her Italian born uncle who lived with them. He was like totally turned off. I guess this is right after the war and he wouldn't eat it. Like he like, like, you know, kind of like tweaked his nose and said, this is paint. This is house paint in a, in a can. <laughs> but I think that, that the reason I bring it up is I think that that was like the new generation. So my grandma was born in 1920 and it's like, all oh, the glories of the post-war America, I can get safe sanitary tomatoes in a can I don't have to worry anymore. Ain't this fantastic? And her Neapolitan-born uncle from 1872, is who was born in about 1874, right? He was born 1874. It was like, this is totally disgusting.
1: I'd rather have botulism than eat this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'd rather have botulism. <laughs> than eat this.
2: But Dolores, when you, when you guys do it, because we had this come up because my my in-laws got tomatoes from Florida for the first time because of, I don't know how it, they had to have or Florida tomatoes, whatever. Wow. And the first batch was a little more watery. We ended up doing more squeezing through the tablecloth and what, whatnot to get them thicker. Um, But my, you know, it was like a national emergency. So it's like me, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, my wife, their uh, Compati Nick, we're all like sort of freaking out that it's so watery. And I said, why don't we boil the puree, the product, and evaporate some of the water? They thought I was crazy, but does that mean your family's sauce comes out thicker in the jar?
1: Um, hmm. Like after you cook it? Like yeah, when you're actually making a sauce or literally when it's sitting in the jar on the shelf? In the like basement. when it's
2: sitting in the jar on the shelf, now that you boiled the actual tomato before it goes in the jar. Yeah,
1: it is a little, it is a little thicker, but not, eh, it is, but not like excessively. Still very smoothish.
2: I find it really interesting the way every family does it their own way and the way, like Pat says, because we used paste when we came here for the early immigrants, some are paste heavy, some are who uses crushed tomatoes, who uses tomato puree. I mean, in my mom's side, the Sicilian branch of my family, every Sunday sauce or gravy is finished with some sugar, and that's like a big thing in my family, to sugar in the sauce. On my dad's side, that would be sacrilegious. I just think it's really fascinating to see how many different applications you could have for tomato.
3: My grandma's Piandi sorrento, so sugar in as well. My grandma oh. put a little bit of sugar in. And I've had people go, oh, oh, oh especially in Italy, oh, oh they go, a plate. see, Italy has two qualities of people talking about cooking. People who think they know it all but really know nothing. <laughs> and Zella deals with them all day long. Lozella <laughs> could write a book of giant of, culinary idiots. I was just going to
0: say, as Ro knows very well. <laughs> there are not enough pages. <laughs> there is not enough paper. <laughs> to create the pages that would be necessary
3: Poor Roselle. for such a book. So you have Italian idiots who really know nothing, but they think they know everything. And then you have people who really do know what they're talking about. The very old, old Neapolitan ragu recipes contain sugar. I have some theories on this. And it's just a little bit of sugar. Some people claim it's to fight off the acidity. That might have been what was said. I think one thing is that macaroni dishes, really historically, I'm talking 400 years back, were a mix of butter, sugar, cinnamon. It was a desserty type thing. So if you're marrying the ragu, the tomato sauce the grape for the first time with macaroni, maybe you're throwing sugar in because you always have macaroni with a little bit of sugar. That wasn't for the poor people again. That was for the rich people. Because remember, poor people ate macaroni what was just boiled with a little bit of cheese thrown on top, grated cheese. Rich people had the money to buy the meats to be able to put, cook it in the ragu. The second thing is that a little bit of sugar, so you had a lot of money because sugar was so expensive. That's why some old Italian recipes, even when they make cookies, it's just a little bit of sugar because it was such an expensive thing. But for those of you who have families that put sugar in your sauce, gravy, ragu, whatever you want to call it, that is a very, very old and ancient companion traditions, And the old cookbooks will prove that. They show that. And there are some people who still do it. You will find an old school cook who does put the sugar in. I put it in because my grandmother put it in. And that's how everything Italian worked.
0: Yeah, no, I'm not denying that it was traditional to put it in. It, I My only gripe with the sugar thing is that not all tomatoes are acidic. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people just put it in without tasting the tomatoes and seeing if it actually needs sugar. And I think today when people are doing it they put entirely too much because it fine you can put sugar in it but you shouldn't taste sugar in the sauce oh
3: no it should be like maybe a teaspoon for two cans
0: right but i have seen people put sugar in i've eaten tomato sauce that tastes like there's sugar in it and it breaks my heart because (laughs) especially today um if you're buying commercially canned tomato products those are monitored you know in the greenhouses and stuff for acidity so they're picking those when they are at their lowest acidity possible so if the purpose of the sugar is to neutralize the acid and you're working with tomatoes that have extremely low acid levels to begin with you know i'm talking about if you open a can of crushed tomatoes a those are picked at their the height of their freshness with lower acidic levels to begin with. And then they're essentially cooked already because they're already heated to a, a high temperature in the canning process. You know, the need for sugar, the real need for sugar, it's not really there. Um, if you want to do it because it's a tradition, because it's important to you, do it. But don't do it to the point where you taste sugar.
3: And I don't I don't put it in because it needs it. I don't even taste it. I, I try to live an Italian version of Orthodox Judaism. <laughs> I do it because it, my grandmother did it, I mean. her mother did it, and I just follow rules. I don't taste it. it I just do exactly what they did because it's not going to die with me. What's no. the ha- what's the it. equivalent
0: of the hairstyle? I feel like we need an equivalent of the hair.
3: Probably the underwear. You know how Mormons have specific underwear? <laughs> I did not know that, no. Yeah, they yeah, do. They do. <laughs> Oh, yeah. You're a Mormon athlete Tell us about I really don't know that much. I know a little bit about the
2: underwear. It's
0: like a Long John kind of thing.
2: So we need like Orthodox Italian mutandi. That's yeah,
3: the, got the, zutanina, get the Zutanina.
2: We'll get the it Orthodox in the store. Home.
3: Yeah, I want to have
2: yeah, white Yeah,
0: that, that would I probably be. Blue. And the women would all have to wear like slips from 1960 style
2: <laughs> stockings you know, rolled down
0: under all their clothes. That <laughs> would make Pat so happy. News.
3: With the rubber band, with the rubber band on the stocking.
0: Nothing would make Pat happier is to like undress a woman like a potential like spouse, and to find out that she's got like a medallion of Saint Michael and, uh, <laughs> and
3: like no no kind of the, med- the metal pin to the brazier. That's what they all the yeah. old, remember that they would have the metal with the ribbon pin with the with the safety pin. Could we come out with a podcast line of Mudanda?
2: It's a whole other episode, as we say bro
3: yeah. can you be the designer, podcast <laughs> Mudanda, and we'll have like our own pattern.
2: Like That's gonna be like new Coke. We think it's great, nobody's gonna buy.
3: If you're out there and you think you'd buy your Mudanda off of us, please let us know.
2: <laughs> yes, that's right. Can, can I
1: interrupt at- two geeks yeah. and their science about <laughs> the freaking acidity and the pH and the tomatoes? <laughs> and can we talk for a second about the real reason why 30% of our listeners' families Still jar tomatoes, still do the tomatoes, as we say, and that is because of the absolute joy of the tradition. and for me, this is always the most wild thing, and every year that we do it, I'm always amazed. I always have a moment where I step back and I think to myself, no one should want to be here right now. you know we we start at six a m it's August in New York, it's hot, it's humid. There's boiling things, there's (laughs) flames. We work for hours on our feet. It's hard work and it should not be something that everybody comes to do with alacrity, but they do every year. And my nieces and nephews, when they were little, looked forward to coming and now they're teenagers. Now they're, some of them are in their twenties and they could be like going to play golf. they could be going to hang out with their friends, and instead they're waking up and they're driving over to Noana's for this day and they're taking pictures and sometimes they even bring their friends who are of course you know awed by what they're seeing, and they work so hard and like this year, because all of them are so much older, I noticed like with my niece my young um not my youngest niece, my oldest niece, and my uh youngest nephew who would be like 17 and 18 basically they knew what to do they were so helpful like they weren't pretending to jar the tomatoes you know like or or doing the little jobs that we used to give them they knew what to do and they were like covered in tomato splashes by the end of the day and they were retaining the information from all the years that they have been doing this and now they were like an integral like part of the workforce yeah And at the end, the spread that we had, you know, I posted a video to my stories. I got so many DMs from people just saying, oh my God, the spread on this table, all these people around, like it reminds me of when I was younger, you know, and I wish we still had that. All of, you know, I'm trying to recreate it. And that is the true beauty of this. This is, yes, it's fresh tomatoes in December (laughs) for your sauce, right? But the day itself is, is so important the actual in-the-moment work.
2: It's holiday-like.
0: I mean, I think the magic for, like, outsiders, when they see events like this, when they get to be a part of it, they almost feel like they're stepping onto, like, a movie set to, like, this time gone by, and they get to really be a part of things. And it just, you can see it in their eyes how, like, wowed they are. Like, you know, they're like, wow, I've never seen anything like this. Like, this is such a huge amount of work and just for something like tomatoes that you could, yes, buy at a store. But I think it's just the celebration that goes on around it after it, before it, that sets it apart. That makes it something that everybody wishes they could do. Everyone wishes that they had like the discipline to do.
2: And I think it's interesting that like Dolores has a different process. You have a different process. I have a different process. And yeah, You said it right, Dolores. The labor is intense. It's physical work. It's heavy lifting. It's hot as heck, but everybody does come with the joyousness to it. And like Rose says, you're stepping into this really alien world. That's becoming increasingly alien nowadays, which is a time of family of resources of everybody pitching in. And and I love, I guess my favorite thing about Christmas Eve is when I started cooking Christmas Eve and my grandparents died and doing it with my younger cousins and my brothers. Now, 20 years later my cousins could all do this all the we do 13 different fish and it's complicated and it's frantic and it's one day and it's rushed but they could do it because they are not just there symbolically or or as a token of kind of showing up and to me i can't think of a better way and like pat says it's not like wine where it takes multiple days or cabigola where it's complicated and you got pork and it's a it's a beautiful one day get everybody together work, laugh, tell stories, and eat at the end, you're going to sweat and be tired and sore. But that's the precious time that's so increasingly hard to find in today's world. And like you said, nobody's on the phone, right. nobody's on the iPad, You're just spending good old fashioned family time. And at the end, you got a great product to take away from it. You know, you've made something. It's beautiful.
0: And you know what I, you know what I really love about the different ways that everybody does this is that, you know, you can look through your pantry and you can look at all the different jars that people have given you over the year. And you can like, I can recognize them like, Oh, those are Conchettos tomatoes. And that's yeah. Maria's and that's, you know, it's like everyone's sauce. Everyone's jar tomatoes is like a thumbprint for yeah. how their family does yeah. it. And Some of them have reasons for the way they do it. Some of them just do it because it's the way they do things because it's tradition, but you know, the sauce is all, is all good.
2: You're passing these things to everybody. It's such a thing of pride. My mother-in-law was mad that the first batch came out wet because my father-in-law changed something. So When those came out, she secretly took a permanent marker and wrote his name on all of them, and only he and and only he can give those out. So I love the idea that it gets (laughs) passed around. Yeah, these are the doctor. Doctor made these.
3: I ask you one question, one last question from the three of you. Have you guys ever run the numbers to see are you actually saving money, jarring, or but all the time and effort are you actually? did the jarred tomatoes actually come out more expensive than what they are on the shelf at the
2: supermarket? My mother-in-law's convinced that it's cheaper and she's done the math. And the beauty of it is it's the reason Italian families always had a lot of kids because the labor is free. You can't factor that in. <laughs>
3: it's true. <laughs> it's our
2: job, you know? Fact.
3: By the time you feed everybody, like, like Dolores, what did your mother put out? What did you eat the night of the tomato cooking? Oh
1: my gosh. Kumba, you're gonna yell at me that you weren't here. I actually thought of inviting you, but you don't, I don't think you're leaving the house yet. So I, I didn't. Um, spaghetti with obviously the fresh, some of the fresh sauce, some are the, the fresh tomatoes. Uh, pig's feet. Oh! oh. How'd you make the pig's feet? Duck. <laughs> oh, come on, duck? oh!
3: Are you kidding? I knew he was going to yell at me for that one. I'm going to oh, yell at God. you for that one. Totally, <laughs> you know why? Because I wasn't there. This is a totally the legend menu. of
0: stefania's
1: duck <laughs> i know oh, pat pat has
3: been asking about my mirada exactly <laughs> he's just right
0: exactly
1: oh, i keep coming. saying the he's duck
3: gonna come for you i know there's eight thousand years now the duck is coming it's coming <laughs> the duck don't worry once the duck flies in everyone's had the duck her mailman even came over they had the mailman over for duck and they never had the duck <laughs> Let <laughs> how is the duck made? Mm, uh, mm, mm, uh. How would you make the duck? Mm, mm, uh, you know, you, you did not, I, you not have duck
1: I thought of you, you, you not, but I didn't know if you would you come. That's know.
2: true. He I, refuses to leave the house.
1: Yeah, exactly. You're,
2: you're a liar, liar,
3: liar.
1: <laughs> I knew that was going to set him liar. off. I knew that was going to set not. him
3: off. You're a well, fibber. You're Dolores the fibber. I love pig. oh, pig's feet is the best. Pig's feet in the gravy. Oh, the I pig? love that. No, it was, it was, it
1: was not. It was the. Um, just pig's feet
3: with lemon. Like, I
2: don't ooh, know what that's called. Oh,
0: oh, now she's going to make it sound not as good
3: so he doesn't
2: feel <laughs> oh, like no, no. he the likes Bork. that. <laughs> that's
3: I was going to say, my last Mousse de Bork story, I was in Laudino, Italy, for their feast, for Santa Elena. I was there because I have friends from Laudino in the Chilento. And they had a Musa de Borca truck. And Musa de Bork is the, I guess it would be the cheek meat of the pig. Face? With the, with, with the, yeah, the face. I know, we lost how many listeners right now? And the pig <laughs> feet... <laughs> and serve it with lemon. So I went up and the guy had the single portion for like two euro and the family portion for for, for ten euro. I said, i have the family portion. And, he, and he's watching me eat the family portion. I'm sure he'd put video like this this American pig, see how he eat. But it was that good. Oh, come on. What what are you telling me this now for? Well
1: you asked. You the
3: next year you come. Oh, 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 oh. I never when, when I, you are ready I feel like to Wiley sit down, down to dinner. I think Wally Coyote, <laughs> no, it never works out. Like, it's always like,
2: <laughs> but you gotta, You got to come through with a duck.
1: When you're ready, let me know. You guys will come over.
2: You know what Nicole said we should do? Nicole made a point while we were doing this. I was, I was filming some of it for, the, for YouTube, which I'll put on after this episode airs. And she said, you know, this is a great activity for your listeners. And we always talk about doing an event and God spares next year. This time people are doing things again. We should do one day where people buy a ticket, come in, it buys them X jars of tomatoes, and we basically have a tomato That's fest. A great idea. And then eat together yeah. at the
0: end. That is a great idea. No, guys, yeah. let us know if you would be interested in that because maybe we'll actually. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Shoot us emails.
2: It could be a fun event.
0: I like that. And like and like, a platinum ticket will get you some of Dolores' mom's duck. <laughs>
2: no, 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 no. Be platinum is swear the to duck. Us.
0: Gold is the pig's feet.
3: <laughs> They're going to swear to us the duck is coming. I'm going to go with my personalized bib. I'm going to be all excited. And she'll he say, oh, we opened oh my up the God. duck. And it No, right? The duck didn't come in, and I ain't going to get any duck. You want to see
1: the men over this bowl of duck. Oh, oh, it sounds oh so good. Oh, my God. They were like oh, the
3: duck the Here we go. The duck. Her <laughs> mailman. The mailman. They the mailman over for duck. Manga Pagaba. Manga pagaba.
1: When you do come over for duck, we should do an episode out of it. We'll have to film it. We have oh, to wow. now. Yep.
2: Yep. We're bringing the cameraman for the duck. I'm dying for this duck. I love duck. I've been hearing about it through him, through you. We're all ready.
1: We're going to do it. We're going to do it.
0: Do you think she'd be willing to share the duck recipe in the new cookbook? Ooh. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Good idea.
2: Wow. Yeah, yeah.
0: She, she's not the type who's like jealous of the of the she's recipes, not. Right? No, no, she she's would totally despair. share it.
1: It's a great idea. Well, will
2: look forward to that next year. All right, so the official Tomato Fest that's that's going to be on the on the docket. I think it's a great kickoff event for us. And let's just pray sooner rather than later we're able to do these things again because, like you said that's the joy of the whole thing just time together laughing eating having a great time so hopefully that's the same feeling you get every week when you put on the italian american podcast i know for me and for all of us it's a joy just to be with our friends and catch up talking about the stuff we love so from all of us the italian american podcast thanks for listening and we'll see you next week ciao
0: guys Oh, you want your life to be great,
3: see that you're born in an Italiano, and your life will be great. See that you're born in an Italiano, and your life.